All right, Jerbo, say good morning, good morning. Let us begin, begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning's share. To thank our Kamatora sponsors for the month of Elul, Shindi and Avram Kelman for dedicating all the Shi'urim this month. In honor of Yechiel's engagement to Alana Falik in the memory of their parents, Jerome and Bernice Kelman, and Alexander and Frederica David. To thank Barak, Maya, and Sandy Hafman, Dara Limas, and Avi Malamed, for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of Ruvain Ben Emanuel. To thank Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Shurim this month in the Schuss of Rafur Shalema for Shulamis Bas Susha. The Dafyomi Shur in the Schuss of Rafur Shalema for Yehuda Ben Michal. Our week of learning sponsors, Jeff and Karen Cohn. In commemoration of the Yartek of Jeff's mother, Eleanor Cohn, Elga Bas Binyamin, and, and we thank all of our sponsors for their dedication and generosity, all the Nisham Shadav and Aliyah, the families in Nechama, and all of those who require a refuah should have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. And most with that, let us begin. I'm sorry, we're getting started just a moment late. I also apologize for the confusion that's happening with some of the Sram. Obviously, the tables were moved yesterday. It looks like some of the Sram got misplaced. So my, my apologies for that. So we'll say, so let us begin. Today's daf is Ayin Test 79. We are picking up on Ayin Kesselman Base 78B. We're picking up oh, pretty much like right in the middle of the daf, Rav Papa Amar. Rav Papa says, Lo kashya. Ultimately, again, there is no contradiction. Ha Rabbi Yehuda Alibad Rabbi Gamliel. Ha Rabbi Hanira Ben Akhabya Alibad Rabbi Gamliel. And we'll say two different versions, two different versions of the positions of Rabbi Gamliel. So the Gemara says, but one second, is Rabbi Hanina ben Akavya Kibay Shamay? Is Rabbi Hanina ben Akiva holding like, or ben Akavya, excuse me, holding like Be Shamay? Hachi Kamar, this is what it means to say. Lo nechleku Be Shamay Sila al Dabrazeh. Ultimately, we'll say, according to this approach, Be Shamay Be Sila did not argue in this first case. Rabbi Shmuel Dabri Tarbayu. So we'll say, Rabbi Shmuel have a different version of this, and they explain. Bein shenaflu la nechasim achlonis arsa. So we'll say, now listen to this. Rav and Shmuel have a little bit of a different version, and Rav and Shmuel explain as follows. They hold that whether she inherited property before Erisin, whether she inherited property during Erisin and then got married, right, and then had Nisuin, ultimately, the husband has the ability to go ahead and extract and extract the property from the purchasers. From the purchasers. So the Gemara says, whose opinion is this? Now this, of course, is a little bit of a different version, right? And in this version, what the Gemara is saying effectively is that if, it, no matter when she inherits, if she sells her, the property during the marriage, husband has the ability to go ahead and extract those sold properties from the purchasers. So, Kiman, whose opinion does this reflect? It's neither like Rabbi Huda, nor is it like Rabbi Hanina ben Akabia. To which the so who does it hold? In Huda Amri they hold like the position of the rabbis. What did the rabbis hold? The Sanyo, Rabosinu Khazrovinu, the rabbis went ahead and agreed. Whether a woman inherits property before Erisin or whether she inherits it during Erisin, and now again, now there is Nisu and Vinises, ultimately, again, the husband has the ability to go ahead and extract property from, from the purchasers. I will say, we'll discuss that. So I just want to point out 
in, in a pretty dramatic turn, the Yomar seems to be headed down a different direction, which is any time a woman sells property during marriage, during the suin, husband has the ability to go and extract that property from the purchasers, even if that property was inherited by her prior to marriage, even prior to Erison. Again, we'll see the halo- where, we, where we kind of fall out in the halacha So let's see the Gemara. Mishani says, But however, everyone agrees that during Erison, that during Yisun, excuse me, if she sells property, he has the ability to extract it. Says the Gemara, Lema Tanino, Lema Tanino, so we'll say, what, what, why not just mention over here Takanas Usha? Because what happened by Takanas Usha? In Usha, they instituted the following policy. They instituted that if a woman goes in and sells her homolog property during the lifetime of her husband, I will remember again, just one more time, the distinction between Nechseitzon Barzal Nechseimolog. Nechseitzon Barzal is property brought into the marriage appraised, and that value is put into the ksuba. The husband is obligated to secure that value in the event of death or divorce. Nechseitzon Barzal, sorry, that's Nechseitzon is property that's not assessed, right? It's, it's not, it's not, you know, assessed is the wrong word, appraised. It's not appraised at the onset of the marriage, but rather, again, she brings it, she brings it into the marriage, she brings it into the marriage, the title remains hers, and ultimately, again, he has the right to go ahead and use peros, okay? So now, in Usha, in Usha they instituted, that if a woman sells her nechseim log over the course of the marriage, umesa, and then she dies, what's talacho? Ultimately, the husband has the ability to go and extract the property from purchasers. So we'll say, so essentially, what, what Takanas Usha is saying is that what? A husband has the ability to extract property from purchasers. To which the Gemara says it's two different cases. Masnisin bechayeha ula peros. And we'll say, our Mishnah is talking, interestingly enough, about the ability of a husband to go ahead and extract property from purchasers during the lifetime of his wife. Right? So remember, again, that's what our Mishnah is focused on. She sold property during her lifetime. Now we're talking about husband's ability to extract that property while she's alive. However, Ush, I'm sorry, Masnisin Bechayeha Ula Peros, Takanas Usha, Begufa Shalkarka Ula Achar Misa. So I will say, our Mishnah is really focused on a husband's ability to use the property and to extract the property from purchasers while the wife is alive. Takanas Usha is focused on husband's ability to extract property after she has passed away. So two different, two different cases. So I'll say, let's finish up. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon Cholik, Bein Nechassim. So Rabbi Shimon goes ahead and makes a distinction, it's actually very interesting, between property that the husband knows about and property that the husband doesn't know about. So says the Gemara. So I'll say, I'll, I'll just mention, just before we go on, let me give you a little bit of halacha l'maysa. So the Rambam and Hilchos Ishus Perek Chaf Beis Halacha Zayin says, "Kol Nechasim Sheish LeIsha." Whatever, whatever property a woman has, meaning Nichseit Son Barzel or Nichsei Malog, the halacha is during the lifetime of during the lifetime of the wife, husband eats the peros, right? Husband gets the benefit from it, and ultimately, again, if she dies, he inherits her. He inherits her. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, if a woman sells off after Nisuin, 
So ultimately, again, if a woman sells nixim alug during the lifetime, right during her lifetime, what's the halacha? A husband is fascinating. A husband has the right to seize peros from the purchasers. You hear this what I'm saying? Not the guf, not the actual property itself, because he doesn't own the property. What does the husband own during his wife's lifetime? What does he own? Peros. Therefore, I will say, let's watch this. Rachel owns a field. Rachel owns a field. During Nisuin, Rachel sells the field. Ruben, husband, has the ability to go to the purchasers and extract payrolls from the field from the purchasers. Not the karka itself, because he doesn't own the karka, but he does own the right to the payrolls. Avalogufa karka, husband doesn't have. Mesa, if she dies, if she dies, then husband has the ability to go ahead and extract the property from the purchasers, because he is now the inheritor of that property. It's so fascinating. So she could sell, but if she sells, ultimately, again, he could extract peros from the lukuchos, but not the karka itself. So the Gemara now says, when is this? When is this so? When is this so? So I'm sorry, Rabbi Shimon makes a distinction between property he knows about, property he doesn't know about. So it says the Gemara, Eluhein Yuduin, Eluhein Shein Yuduin. But say, what are, pro- what are properties that the husband knows about and properties that the husband doesn't know about? To which the Gemara says, Rabbi Chanino, Yuduin Mikakoi, Shein Yuduin Metalkali. So I will say, so Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, known property means real property. Unknown property means movable property. Rabbi Yochanan, Amr Eluhein Eluhein Yuduin. Ultimately, again, both of those, we'll say both movable property and real property, are called known property. I the Elohim Shein and Yiduin. So we'll say, what, what, what then is an example of unknown property? A good example of this would be Shion's property overseas that he literally does not know about. That supports this. Elohim Shein Yiduin. We'll say, what's the example of, of unknown property? Any time where she's living in one place and she inherits property in a different place. And I will say, I just want to point out that indeed the Rambam mentions this. And the Rambam says, When is this so? When is what so? That if a wife goes in and sells property during her lifetime, right, the husband has the ability to extract payrolls from the purchaser. And ultimately, if she predeceases him, he has the ability to extract the actual karka from the purchaser. When is that? This only applies to property the husband knows about. So I'll say, but for example, if ultimately she owns property overseas and he does not know about it at all, and she sells the property, she sells the property, Ultimately, again, such a sale is absolutely valid. And even after her death, he doesn't have the ability to collect that property from purchasers. Incredible. Let's go back to both. This is a fascinating case. Let's listen to this. There was a woman who was getting married. Narashi points out she was an Almana. Second marriage. Second marriage. This woman, we'll call her Rachel. She was married to Ruben. She's widowed from Ruben died. She's now going to marry Shimon, not a brother, not Yibum, just the second marriage, right? Second marriage. As she, we're going to see, she has kids. I say, she wants, she does not want her husband, her new husband, husband number two, to have any rights in her, in her property. So I will say, what does she want? And so literally translated, 
She wants to literally cause her property to run away from her husband. In other words, she wants to shield the property from her husband. So she has a great chap. What does she do? She She wrote a document gifting the property to her daughter. And I will say, did she actually mean to gift the property to her daughter? Absolutely not. It's a shtickle sham. In other words, she's writing a document so that it looks like she's gifted her property to her daughter prior to marriage. Therefore, her husband has no rights in this property. Okay, so what happened? Well, say, in Seba, Rachel gets married to Shimon. Sure enough, it doesn't work out. Not sure enough, but chances are, if you're the kind of person who's not willing to share with your husband, it's probably not going to work out. Right? But Lamaisa, again, so ultimately, again, they get divorced. They get divorced. This Garsha. So now what happens? What happens? Rachel goes to her daughter. And what does Rachel want from her daughter? Rachel wants her property back. So they come up for Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says, Mom, no, you gave me the property. Here's the star. Here's the document. She produced the star in Beisden. What happened? So Kari Rav Nachman the star. Rav Nachman saw the star. He tore it up. He tore it up. Wow. So he so he tore it up. Now obviously Rav Nachman, listen to this. So also Rav Anan Okva. Rav Anan went before Mar Okva. Do you see what Nachman Chaklo? Now, we'll say Chaklo literally means a farmer, right? Or a poor person. So he was, so this is incredible. So, so ultimately, again, Rav Anan, Rav Anan says, can you imagine this scene? You're in Beisden, right? A person produces a shtar. Rav Nachman just tears up the shtar. So ultimately, again, Rav Anan says, Rav Anan says to Ma'ukva, who is this guy? Right? Look at the Rav Nachman, the farmer. In other words, that was an insult, right? To call the Talmud Chacham, the farmer. In other words, look at Nachman, the farmer. What, what is he doing? He's tearing up people's shtaras in Beisdin. This is such a good lesson. So the first thing Marukva says is, calm down. Tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. Let's go through the facts. Because maybe if we go through the facts... Right, your your assumption that Rav Nachman is not qualified for these matters may may be wrong. So Rav Anan told Mar Okva. Rav Anan told Mar Okva. Ultimately, again, what happened? Lord, it went through the whole case. Amrlei. So Rav Okva said, Ah, now I understand. Shtar Mavreches Ka'amrit. So Rav say, This is what's called Ishtar Mavreches. So Rav say, This is actually fascinating. <coughs> what's Ishtar Mavreches? Mavreches means what? Livroach, to run away. Shtar Mavrechas is when you write a document for the sole purpose of conveying property to another, not because you want to actually convey ownership to them, but rather what? Because you want to shield it from someone else. So I will say, that's this case, right? Rachel's getting married to Shimon. Rachel doesn't want Shimon to have rights in her property. So what does she write? She writes a document conveying ownership to Rachel's daughter. Does Rachel actually have intent to convey ownership to her daughter? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Varaya, as soon as she got divorced from Shimon, she's coming back to get her property back. The only reason she's writing this document is to create the appearance that the property has been conveyed to another so as to shield it from another party. That is called Ishtar Mavrachas, a document written for the sole purpose of shielding property from another individual. So the Gemara says, so after all, again, Haki Amr Bichanelei, Mar Idi Amr Shmuel, Mora Horani. 
Alright, so we'll listen to this. Rabbi Chanivai Bar Idi said the name of Shmuel. I am a Mora Horah. I'm a Posek. Im Yavo Shtar Mavrechas Liadi Akarano. Wow, that's it. And if a Shtar Mavrechas comes to me in Beisdin, I'll rip it up. I'll rip it up. Because we'll say it makes sense. A Shtar like that is meaningless, right? There's no intent to actually convey ownership. Essentially, again, it's a legal, it's a legal fiction. Is there such a thing like that? A legal fiction? Right, right? It's right. You're, you're creating a legal, you're creating a document that is literally not real. So tear it up. So I will say, I'm going to Rav Rav Nachman, time my. So I will say, why is that? Why is that? In other words, why is a Shtar Mavrachas considered to be problematic? So Yomar says, time my, the Loshavik in Shinafshi, the Yoyulachmini. Because I will say, in general, a person is not going to put themselves at a disadvantage in order to enrich someone else. So we'll say, so again, that's why Shtar Mavrachas. People, people don't just give stuff away. I will say, this is, in general, a good yisod in life, which we all know, especially as we get older. People never give stuff away. And if it has the appearance that they're giving stuff away, there's always, there is always something, right? There's always some string attached in some way, shape, or form. So the Gemara says, I would have thought, Hanimili Lachrini. The most say the truth is, I would have said, that's true with other people. Avalabarta Yahavi. They will say, but maybe in the case of a child, maybe the exception to this rule is one's child. Right? In general, in life, I don't give stuff away, and if I do give something away, there's a reason for it. Maybe when it comes to one's child, one does engage in a selfless act of giving, to which the Gemara says, It's true, I will say, but still, even with one's child, even with one's child, one's own needs ultimately come first. I will say, the truth is that statement is not usually true in actual childhood. Parents make sacrifices for their children all of the time. The point that Gimar is making over here in a context like this, we clearly see that it was not Rachel's intent to gift something to her daughter, right? What was her intent? What was her intent? To shield the property from her new husband. Incredible. If a woman wants to shield her property from her husband, Kate said he also, what could she do? What could she do? She can write a shtar pasim. I will say, we actually had shtar pasim. Remember again, back in Yavamas. Look at Rashi. Rashi's almost right across. What's a shtar pasim? Piyusim shemifai sasso lekabel matona zulaf kia zuchos baila. Call them nisuin. Feloshi yiskim akabel. I will say, by the way, the classic case of shtar pasim I'll point out is, I will say, let's say I, I come over to you and I say, listen, I'm trying to secure a loan from the bank. Try and scroll up from the bank. Do me a favor. Let's write up a loan document that you owe me a million dollars. Not collectible. I got it. You don't owe me. But just write it up. Write it up so that way I can walk into the bank and I can say, look, look, I, I, have, I have an IOU. Right? In other words, I, I have a loan that's coming due to me. So we'll say, so the same idea that Gimara says a woman wants to go ahead and shield her property, shield her property from her husband, she can convince someone to go ahead and be the recipient of a gift, so to speak, and write up a gift document in which she conveys ownership of the property to another party. So what I say, the Gimara says, these words are Rabbi say, well, if you do that, ultimately the recipient, I will say, in other words, the, the recipient in that star could really pull shtick, right? How, how, how could the recipient pull shtick? I will say, how? Because now, I will say, like this case, because now, when the conveyor, let's say the woman, wants to get her property back, the recipient could say, what are you talking about? We have a star. 
We have a star, and ultimately the recipient could use that star to solidify their claim. The only way to ensure that the recipient doesn't pull shtick is how I will say what you do is you include this clause that this transaction is valid from today if I choose to activate it. See, it's interesting. So what you do is you put in the document an activation clause. Fascinating. And the activation clause says this document is only activated should I willingly accept it from today and forward. Very interesting. Look at Rashi. Rashi is right across. So we'll say, we'll say this way, this way, if the recipient wants to pull shtick, she could simply say, I do not want the transaction to be void. If the husband tries to take ownership of the property, then she could activate the document. Fascinating. To which the Gemara says, Taimo, the Kasfalehachi. The reason ultimately against such a star like this will work is because she wrote this clause. Had she not gone ahead and written this clause, ultimately the purchaser or the, the recipient would acquire it. She also sounds like what? Sounds like what? That a shtarah actually does convey ownership to the recipient. Fascinating. Now let's say, you're right, there are different cases. Sometimes the shtarah will work, sometimes it won't work. When, so we'll say, so ultimately, again, it depends. Is she conveying over all of her property? Is she conveying over some of her property? Ultimately, again, the Gemara says, if she's conveying all of her property, we don't look at this as a real transaction because we assume a person is not going to want to self-impoverish, right, willingly. Versus if she's going ahead and conveying over a piece of her property, then in Achinami, in that case, the Shtar Havracha ultimately could work. To which the Gemara says, But if that's the case, I will say at the end of the day, if a shtar havracha doesn't work, and therefore again, I will say, let's go back to our original case. Rachel's getting married to Shimon, Mazel Tov, second marriage. She's looking to shield her property from, from her second husband. So what does she do? She writes a document conveying ownership of her property to her daughter. Right? Let's assume for a moment now we're talking about a case where she's conveying all of her property over to her daughter. Okay, so now we know. You're con- really, you're conveying all of your property over to your child? No, you're not. No, you're not. You're just simply going ahead and trying to shield the property from your husband. So we say, I will say that what? Such a star is, un- is invalid. And that's why, again, when they, when that case came before Rav Nachman, what did Rav Nachman do with the star? Tore it up. So I will say, so now if that star is really invalid, that means Rachel's daughter doesn't acquire the property. If Rachel's daughter doesn't acquire the property, who should acquire the property? The husband. The husband. So why doesn't the husband acquire the property in such a situation? They will say this is fascinating. Essentially, in this case, where she conveys ownership of the property to her daughter or to any third party, we make it like property that is unknown to the husband, unknown to the husband, and therefore, like Rabbi Shimon, and therefore, again, he has no rights in it. So, we'll say, what comes out from this sugi is very interesting. That essentially, we'll say, this something called the Shtar Havracha, also known as a Shtar Pasim. Same idea, where when you have a Shtar where it's clear, it's clear, and we'll say that what's, what, what's not my intent with the Shtar? I don't know, that's the bad English. What's not my intent? To convey ownership, right? What is my intent? shield property, make myself look richer than I am, whatever it might be. But in that case, there's no conveyance of ownership. 
Therefore, again, should the recipient try to claim that they are the owner, tear up the shtar, meaningless. But I will say, however, again, the only work, shtar abracha, is only meaningless in a case where a person is conveying all of their property. If they're just conveying, let's say the woman is just conveying part of her property, ultimately, again, it would work. Good. Fascinating. So we'll say, here's the interesting case. Continuing in these cases where a woman acquires property. Let's say she inherits money. So I will say, so now what happens? What do you do with money that she inherits? We'll say, this is during marriage. During marriage, she acquires money. So what happens? You purchase property with that money. She owns the property. He gets the payers of the property. Peros atelushim in akarko. Bose, let's say she inherits detached produce. So what do we do? Yilakach bahen karko. You sell the detached produce. Use the proceeds to buy karko. Fuachal peros. And ultimately, again, he, so she, again, she retains title. She owns it. But he gets peros. Peros amichobar mekarko. Let's say she inherits attached produce. I'm Rabbi Meir. Shaman osa kamehi yafa beperos. We assess how much is the land worth with the peros. How much is the land worth without the peros? That becomes now the value of the peros. The difference in value is used ultimately again to purchase property. She owns the property. And ultimately again, he'll eat the peros. No, no, no. If there's attached produce, attached produce belongs to the husband. Detached produce is hers. What do you do with it? Sell it. Use the proceeds to purchase land. Shields the title to the land. And ultimately, again, he eats peros. Rabbi Shem Shimon says, this is very interesting. So we'll say, where the husband has greater rights during marriage, he has lesser rights in divorce. Where she has greater, excuse me, where she has less rights, the entry of marriage, she has greater rights in divorce. How does this play out? Here we go. So we'll say, for example, let's say they get married and there's attached produce. So ultimately, again, attached produce belongs to who? Him. That's called peros. Yet, attached produce at the time of divorce will belong to her. Detached produce, ultimately, again, when they enter into marriage, is hers. And when they get divorced, are his. Okay. So it says, you know, we'll say, let's analyze. So we'll say, so now the first thing we learned, the first thing we learned is that halacha lamaisa, that if she inherits money over the course of marriage, what do we do with that money? We invest it in karka. We invest it in karka. So we'll say now the Gemara brings down a very interesting case. What happens? She inherits money. They have a disagreement as to how to invest the money. What should we buy with the money? So the Gemara listen as well. So here, pshita ara ubati. So we'll say, let's say one of them says we should purchase land, karka, and one of them says we should purchase a home. What's the halacha? Ara. We purchase land. We purchase land. Bati vidikli. One says let's purchase a house and one says let's purchase palm trees. Bati, we purchase a house. We'll say the idea over here is how do we decide which one? We'll say the goal is you purchase, you invest the money in whatever holds value the longest. Because obviously that's the goal over here. The goal is we want to protect her karen. 
right? We want to protect her principle. So we want to put that money into whatever holds its residual value longest. So between karka and a home, put it into karka. Between ultimately, again, a home and palm trees, put it, right? I'm sorry. Bati vidikli bati. Dikli vi'ilani. Palm trees and fruit trees. Dikli palm trees. Ilani vigufni. What about fruit trees and grapevines? Ilani, fruit trees. Okay. So we'll say, all just different examples of how we invest the money. So the goes weiter. Abba zardasa upeira de kavri. So we'll say it's very interesting. Now transitioning a little bit. Abba zardasa means a forest of sorb trees. Okay. Peri de kavri means a, pi- a fish pond. So amule peira, amule karna. So we'll say, how do you look at these items? Are these items considered to be peros or are they keren? Are they principal? And we'll say, obviously, again, there's a major nafkamina. What's the major nafkamina? Ultimately, again, Karen is hers. Peros are his. So ultimately, who gets to use this? So we'll say, this is fascinating. Klala de Milsa. And we'll say, here is the klal. How do you determine what's Karen and what's a pre? So the Gemara says, Klala de Milsa, Gizel Machlif, anything that regenerates, Pera. Ain Gizel Machlif, anything that doesn't regenerate, ultimately, Karna is Karen. That's it, I will say. That's the guiding light principle. If it regenerates pre, if it doesn't regenerate, ultimately carry it. Interesting case over here. Listen to this. Let's say you steal the offspring of a malug animal. So just to, just to be clear, what's a malug animal? Right? Rachel marries Ruvain. And what? And what? She brings in a sheep into the marriage. She brings sheep into the marriage. Okay, so now what happens? So now what happens? The sheep, Mazel Tov, has a baby. Right? The sheep, the sheep has a baby. So this is, this is what's called Vlad, Vlad Behimas Malug, the offspring of a Malug animal. Now what happens? Okay, just to further complicate a little bit. Someone steals the Malug animal. Then ultimately, again, the thief is found. There's an obligation of Kethel, double payment. Who gets the kefal? Who gets the kefal? So listen to this. So Vlad Behemoth, so now say, so this is all of these, we'll call it Rabbi Yanai. Rabbi Yanai says, if a person steals the offspring of a malug animal, the thief is found, they now pay kefal, double payment. Who gets the payment? Leisha. Interesting. Ultimately, again, the wife gets the double payment. So say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Tashlumi kefal leisha. We'll say second, second line down, 79b, I ain't testing with this. Tashlumi kefal leisha. Valola bow, not to the husband. Kasagadaitcha, kasavar ina vlados peri ele keren, the lakach ben karka, the chashin shalotel. So we'll say, it's actually very interesting. So what does that tell you if the wife gets the kefal? What does that tell you? Remember, we'll say, let's go back for just a second. When it comes to the wife's property, what does the wife have? What does the wife have? Karen, principal. What does the husband have? Peros. The fact that the wife is getting the kefel tells us that what? How do we look at the offspring of the malug animal? Like Karen. Like Karen. Now, both sides, why would you look at the offspring of the animal as Karen? Isn't that Peros? So, both sides, Rashi points to something very interesting. Since over here, if the animal dies, there's nothing left, that's called Karen. Right? Because you must remember again, what's peros? Peros is only if what? If it regenerates. Right? But Lamaise, if, it, if, it, if ultimately it can be used up, that's called Karen. So the Pashtos, the Gibran says over here, this is, this is Karen. So Kiman, whose opinion does this reflect? Apparently it's not like the Rabbana, nor is it not like, nor is it like Hananya. This Sanya, here we go. Vlad Behimas Malog Lebao. Both say, get ready for this. 
Here's the Raisa. The offspring of a Malug animal, right? So again, she brings in a sheep to the marriage. The sheep, Baruch Hashem Kanaynahara, has babies. The offspring of a Malug animal belongs to the husband. Because we call that what according to the Raisa. What do we call that? Peros. Vlan Shifchas Malug Isha. But the offspring, let's say I was saying she brings in servants. The offspring, ultimately, again, of a shifcha, right? That's called keren, and that belongs to the wife. The Hanani ben Achiyoshia Amar, also vlad shifchas melog, kivlad behemas melog. Shabbos said, Hanani disagrees, and Hanani says, no, halacha the offspring of a shifcha is no different than the offspring of the behema. They're both called peros. They're both called peros. Shabbos said, so according, so according, according to the according to the Tanakam, according to the Rabbanon, ultimately again, offspring of an animal, offspring of an animal is called a pre, according to right, but offspring of a shivchanat, according to according to Hananya, both offsprings are like a peros. Either way, we have a problem because what did what did the Gemara just say before? If you steal vlad behemas malog, right, you steal the offspring of a malog animal. The thief is found. The thief pays kefel. Who gets the kefel? Who gets the kefel? The wife. Which seems like that's saying that the offspring of a malug animal is Karen, not Peros. And the problem is, everyone just quoted, both Hanania and the Rabbanon hold that offspring of a malug animal is, is, a, is Peros. So what's going on over here? To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. Afilu teima, divriakol, Peros takino lo Rabbanon. The Rabbanon instituted ultimately that the husband should have Peros. Peros de Peros lo takino Rabbanon. Oh. They will say, what does the husband have rights to? Peros. Peros. What doesn't he have rights to? Peros of the Peros. And we'll say, what's an example of Peros of the Peros? Kefal. Kefal. So we'll say, think about this. The husband has a right, ultimately, again, to the offspring of the Malug animal. That's called Peros. But now, Kefal that comes from the offspring of the Malug animal, that's Peros, that's pre de pre. That's a pre. Oh, who said the husband has rights to that? That was never instituted. That's why the kefal goes to the wife. It's great. Twitch the Gemara says, According to Hananya, this makes sense. Why? Because in general, Hananya will say, We're not worried. We're not worried that the mother is going to die. In other words, whether it's the mother of the animal or the mother shifcha. So the mother animal, right? The mother, the mother animal and the mother shifcha, that's the karen. That's the karen. And that's why, according to Hananya, the offspring is considered to be the pre. All right? And we're not concerned that the mother, mother animal, mother shifcha is going to die, and therefore the karen is gone, and therefore the vlad becomes the karen. So the Gemara says, Rabbanon, here's the problem. And that's why, why Hananya holds both the offspring of the animal and the offspring of the eved is considered, is, belongs to the husband, is considered to be a pre. The problem is according to who? The problem is according to the Rabbanon. Because the Rabbanon say, the offspring of an animal is a pre, it belongs to the husband. The offspring of the shifcha is what? Is karen and belongs to the wife. Why that distinction? If we're afraid that the mother's going to die, ultimately again, then even the offspring of the animal should be karen and therefore should belong to the wife, not to the husband. And if again, and if the Rabbanon are not concerned for the death of the mother, then afilu vlad shifchas melug nami. Then ultimately, the offspring of the melug shifcha should also belong to the husband. To which the Gemara says, "You're right." The olam chayshinu lamisa. In reality, in general, 
we're concerned that the mother is going to die, both by the malug animal and by the shifcha malug, by the malug shifcha. We're afraid the mother is going to die. So let's say, so what's the issue? What's the issue? Listen to this. The shiny behema the ika ora. say, here's what's fascinating. So let's say, let's work backwards. So in the case of where, let's say, the woman brings in a shifcha, she brings in a maid servant, and that's nich semolog. Now the shifcha has a child. So what's the halacha with the, with the offspring of the shifcha? What's that? What's the what's the stat? What's the halacha? Who does it go to? It goes to the wife. It's considered to be karen. Why is it considered to be karen? Because the rabbanon are concerned that maybe the shifcha is going to die, and if the shifcha dies, there's quote unquote nothing left. And therefore, the offspring becomes the carrot. And that's why that belongs to the wife. In the case of an animal, even if the mother dies, I will say, there is still residual carrot. What's the residual carrot if the malug animal dies? What, right? what is it? The hide. The hide, the wool. In other words, there's still carrot that's there. So as long as there's still carrot that's there, that's why the offspring of the malug animal will be considered to be a pre and will ultimately belong to the husband. Incredible. That's how he passed the say, Namely what? That both the offspring of the shifcha, of the malug shifcha, and the offspring of the malug animal, both belong to the husband. They're both called peros, because Chananya says, we're not, we're not choshesh, that the mother animal or that the mother shifcha is going to die. They remain the karen. The two offspring, therefore, are peros. So Amr Rava, Amr Nachman, Abba Gadol Shalach Chananya, even though Shmuel says Lachas like Chananya, Umode Chananya, and Chananya agrees Sheniskarsha no Senes Damim Binaplason Mitnei Shavach Beis Aviha. Shalach said this is very interesting, right? That ultimately, again, listen to this. So Halach Alamai Shalach say Chananya agrees that let's say the couple gets divorced, right? The couple gets divorced, and then Abba said at this point in time when the couples get divorced. The husband has in his possession, what does he have? He has the offspring of the shifcha, the offspring of the offspring of the behemamalog. Now listen to this, that she should buy back those items. She should buy back those items from the husband. Why should she buy back those items from the husband? Because remember again, where did that property come from? Right? Came from her father's estate. So ultimately, again, she should buy back those particular payros from her husband. So we'll say, listen to this. So let's say she brings into the marriage the following thing. A, a goat for its milk, right? Or ultimately, again, a sheep for its wool, or a chicken for its eggs, or a palm tree, ultimately, again, for its peros. So we'll say, obviously, what, what, so remember, who retains title to all these items? Who retains title? Who retains title? The woman. Who gets the peros? Who gets... Husband. Then I will say, here's something fascinating. They will say, let's say, this will have to stop, but let's say, he's eating peros to the point of depletion of the karen. Is that permitted? To which the Gemara says, yes. To which the Gemara says, yes. He's permitted to eat, eat and eat and eat and eat, even if ultimately, again, through his consumption, the karen is depleted. They will say, we'll stop over here. Shkoyach. Nathan.